Do you think happiness is a choice? A choice. Now that that's an interesting way to phrase it. I think happiness is a journey. It's like a part of a process that you kind of have to work towards. I don't think you can expect to be happy at every single point in your life. I think you have to be very clear on what happiness means to you. Because I think happiness means something different to you than it does to me. And we sometimes think happiness is defined by other people. So I think what you really have to do is figure out what happiness means to you and then work towards it. And I think, you know, the whole life fast method, I actually started by making people pick five words that are going to really embody this next year for you. And they are like emotions and themes. So instead of saying like, oh yeah, I want to accomplish, you know, running a marathon and getting a raise and getting married, all this stuff. It's really like, I want you to pick words. Is it love? Is it home? Is it, is it you know, feeling strong? Like, what, what is it? Born in 92 on the block with the sharks. Come from a different cloth. Y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to rock a bar. Now we eating from state to state. We scrape the plate. I put my eggs in the basket. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is your host, Matt Labrie, and you're rocking with us here on the Decoding Success Podcast, where you have just heard from our incredible guest that's joining us, Pyle Kadakia, the founder of ClassPass, the leading fitness and wellness membership that was acquired by MindBody. And prior to its acquisition, ClassPass was valued over $1 billion with members logging more than 100 million hours of workouts across 30,000 partner studios in over 30 countries. Now, Pyle is also the founder and artistic director of the Saad Dance Company, something she's truly passionate about. Founded in 2009 with the mission to increase awareness of Indian dance in the mainstream and serve as a platform for expressing the Indian American identity through movement. Pyle has been featured in most major news outlets, has been listed as Fast Company's 100 most creative people and was named to fortune's 40 under 40 list today she is joining us here today on the decoding success podcast to help us drop our limits and rise to our true potential really excited to be delivering this episode to each and every one of you that's tuned into this right now i am going to throw this out there first and foremost this is a must share episode this is totally free to listen to but if there was a fee it would be for you to share it with the people in your life there is really inspiring stories embedded within this episode so very graciously and gratefully, thanks to our friend Pyle that's joining us here today in just a few moments. Again, make sure you're sharing this with the people in your circle. It could really, really impact someone's life, whether that's in their career, in their business, their mental and emotional states, their drive and their motivation and you know what it takes to prioritize to build up a business that's valued over a billion dollars. I mean, there's so much embedded within here. And without further ado, we're bringing to you our friend Pyle Kadekia. Pyle, welcome to the show. Really, really excited to have you. As just mentioned, and no brownie points necessary. This book is incredible. Excited to dive into this in just a few moments. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here, Matt. Now, I need to start it off like this. We are 225 plus episodes into podcasting and reading the introduction of this book brought me back to how we actually started the show and kicked it off. You mentioned in the introduction that you define success for yourself. And that was actually our first question for, God, I don't even know how many episodes. So I'm actually going to ask you, what's your advice to someone listening to this right now to define success for themselves versus how society or family or can conditioning, so on and so forth, wants them to define it. 
Oh my God. I mean, this is really the crux of, I feel like what the whole book is about. Right. And I think the biggest part of that is learning how we start setting milestones and markers and expectations Mm -hmm. that come from our inner voice versus the voice of everyone around us. So usually the first step in that is identifying who and what is affecting your thoughts, right? And telling you to do one thing versus another. Most of the time we just go with the flow and we never question it. So I think the first part of it is actually defining that and identifying that. Once you know what that is and something I had to do over my time is to start creating boundaries, right? And so if there are triggering conversations or people that trigger you in a certain way that doesn't feel authentic to the way you want to be, you have the right to cut them out. You know, I know that sounds kind of harsh or, you know, a little bit, you know, self-serving, but it's not because we all have been put on earth to do our magic. And anything that keeps us away from that is something that we don't need and we shouldn't feel bad about it. And I think over my lifetime, you know, and I've learned this, whether it was me dancing when I was younger, me building class pass, I'm the only person who was going to fight for it. You know, no one else was ever going to tell me to keep going, right? When I was like, oh, I could do either 150% more, I could just kind of do it. There's always someone who's like, oh yeah, just like do it and get it over with and go. And and then I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to go and be the best I can be. And that comes from your inner self. Mm, I love that. Now, I know that you just mentioned inner voice and I know that played a role in your life. You told stories about it in the book. What's your advice to someone to quiet the noise around them to actually hear that inner voice, right? And I actually just had a conversation earlier on the show where I was talking with a medical doctor, incredible individual, and he was talking about how we kind of have two voices, right? The voice in our head and also the voice that's in our gut, in our heart. And we can get real spiritual about that. But I'm curious, what's your, what's your take on quieting the noise to be able to hear that inner voice? You know, one of the things that for me has always been the magic has been finding a place where I know I 100% authentically feel like myself. And that's Mm -hmm. been dancing, you know, and that was like my place for other people. It could be meditation. It could be music. You have to find a little bit of the environment, right? That makes you feel safe. It makes you feel like you are 100% yourself. And, you know, for me, whenever I was in that zone, I feel like the answers came to me. And the world sort of opened up, right? Whether it was what I was going to do with my life or not, it was sort of whenever I was dancing, I felt more in control and that I was connected to the universe and the thread of my life. Whenever I would stop dancing, I feel like I was marching on someone else's drumbeat. Mm. And I think that's really at the crux of it. Do you remember the first time you ever danced? I do. I mean, I have many different like dance things that I was doing when I was younger, but I think there was like one performance that really changed my life. It was, you know, I was really young. I was probably like four or five years old. It was a family party. And this song came on that my, you know, aunt had teached, had taught me a dance to. I just got on the middle of the dance floor and started doing it in front of everyone. And it was a really interesting feeling for me. And it wasn't about me being on stage and everyone watching me. Cause I think that's like what everyone's like thought would have gone to like, Oh yeah, you like being like a performer. It wasn't performance. It was the fact that I could make everyone feel something, you know, I could tell everyone was engaged, not just because like they were watching me dance, but like I made them feel something and it was probably happy. And Oh my God, she's so cute. But it was this way that I realized like dance was this vehicle of expressing a story and expressing more of who I was. And that's what really made me fall in love with it is it became a thread of my life to, to tell my full story that I felt like I couldn't tell in any other way. 
That's I actually recall you telling that in either one of the first two chapters in the book. Just for everyone listening, I'm referencing Life Pass, an incredible new book. I'm not finished with it yet. I'm not going to lie. Not finished with it yet, but I'm a really slow reader, by the way. But regardless, incredible, incredible work. So I just want to throw that out there. I'm going to keep asking questions about it because so many... But I actually want to kind of break the ice here a little bit. I know you're doing a lot of podcasting now. You've done podcasts in the past. I've seen you on a bunch. What's a question you wish more people would ask you? Oh, wow. That's, that's a hard one. Let's see. I think people don't always ask me. I think they ask me about like how I've gotten it done. I think getting into like the nitty gritty of it, like I'm happy to share. Like, and obviously I do in the book, but like I live by my calendar, you know, something with that. I feel like people don't realize like the actual way to get things done is by scheduling them. Yeah. You talk about planning. Like, wh- Where does that come from for you that I know that you're highly educated? You obviously had to have some sort of an incredible structure to get you to where you are, but where does that come from? You know, since I was younger, I think I was always trying to please my parents, right? So I was trying to do okay. everything my parents expected of me without having to sacrifice the things I wanted to do. So what I did, instead of making trade-offs, I was like, I'm going to make this puzzle work and put everything together. I just need to be efficient, right? So my answer and solve to all of it was efficiency and also priorities. I think that came into my life as I got older and had more responsibilities, which we should definitely talk, talk about as well, since a lot of people face that. But I learned this idea of how to be efficient with my time and like really focus. So something, and honestly, people... My mom would say this is like a terrible thing about me, but I, I think this is like part of my fire is that I can focus so easily. So I feel like in an hour of time, I can get done what like most people get done in a day because I'm like so laser focused and I just like become this machine, right? Whether it's like emails, texting, like moving forward. And I think that's part of the trick of it. And what I have to do during that time is like zone out everything else, which is why I was saying my mom doesn't love it because I will be like, I will miss the conversation. I will not be <laughs> someone that like understood anything that went on around me. Like my, I will literally could like read a book if I wanted to in the middle of a party. And I think that is just a different trait. And I really want people to focus because we don't realize how important that muscle is, right? We, and especially in this day and age where I feel like it's, you know, so much content, there's so many distractions, we lose our efficiency. And when we lose our efficiency, we lose our time. And time is the most important resource we have. Now, I am horrible with focus. So I'm going to ask you a plethora of questions around this. I I like that you referred to it as a muscle, right? And I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I don't actually technically think it's muscle. But I'm sure some doctor would be like, that's not a muscle, but you know what I mean? It's like it's Absolutely. being able to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, when it comes to focus, do you feel like you focus so well because you love what you're doing? Are you using a tactic such as like Pomodoro method? Like, what is it exactly? Okay. So first of all, I am very clear on what my priorities are, right? So okay. when it comes down to me loving what I do. It's more about, I have decided that these are the things I have chosen to do. So whether they are responsibilities or they are obviously things I really want to do, like dancing or seeing friends, they all go on my list of priorities. And I think once you have that list, I go and tackle how to get them done. But I start with a list of priorities because if I started with like what my calendar looked like or what everyone else wanted for me, I would never even get to half my priorities. And usually the things that would fall off are the things that I actually want to do, right? And so I think it really comes down to 
I believe in this idea, like I get to earn my time, right? So I'm like putting in my time to get the best out of my life and get the things that I really want to do. I mean, people always obviously ask me even today, like you're, I'm a mom, right? And they're like, how do you do that and do all the other things you do? But kind of back to your original question, I've been doing this since I was like five. I've had to like fit in (laughs) homework and cheerleading practice and dance lessons. And, you know, I think of course, like my parents helped me a ton in doing that. But it was my like drive of wanting to do them all well and really make sure I could fit them in that really helped me build that self-discipline, right? So self-discipline is a key part of any of this, right? No one can force you to do any of this. It's really got to come from inside. So even in the book, I talk about this, like I have a method that I have for people that I do recommend if you're like struggling on how to prioritize and where to set goals called the life pass method. But I think what it really comes down to is you have to be motivated enough to actually want to do that. And look, for me, my incentive was I got to do more of the things I loved if I took care of my responsibilities. I don't think we can, you know, any of us have the privilege of having a life without responsibilities. Let's be honest. We're all on earth. We have to pay our bills. We need, you know, there's people dependent on us. It doesn't work like that, but it's about how do you use those things to make sure that they are working in your favor versus constantly trapping you. Mm. So what's your advice in regards to avoiding distraction in a world where distraction is at our fingertips and everywhere else? Obviously you're talking about prioritizing. So I could see, you know, that could be one way, but is there anything else? I mean, the best way to avoid distraction and obligation is to have so much that you love to say yes to that the no falls off, right? Mm. When you are so committed to the plan you have, you don't have time to really be distracted. You don't have time to be like, oh, I'm worrying about like not going to this. Should I go to this? It's like the decisions become very clear. And when you start living in that mindset and living in a, a life that has that sort of anchor, the yes just becomes very appear and the no's truly fall off. Mm. I actually want to take a couple steps back. Um, You mentioned that you, and I know you mentioned it in the book as well, that you were kind of seeking validation from your parents, people pleasing in a sense. I think it's really incredible because there's also other things that you mentioned in the book, going all the way back to high school, where you were just like so hyper aware of things that were taking place in your life that people don't realize until they're like 30, 40 years old. Yeah. So like, when was it? Did you start like, when did you start to realize that you were people pleasing and seeking validation? First of all, I mean, you bring up a good point, which is about like self-awareness. Right. And mm. I think because I was very different, you know, I was one of the only Indian girls in the town I grew up in. I just didn't look like anyone else. I think I just had to kind of start looking inward probably earlier than most people, Not, whether it came out of you know, not great situations, to be honest. I think it just, and and a lot of it was insecurity. I also luckily like did have an Indian community around me as well. That sort of gave me a place to feel more comfortable. And I think that helped me in, you know, bringing my identities together. Mm. What's your advice for embracing your true essence instead of running away from it or being scared to show it? For me, you know, it came down to creating environments that would help my full self thrive. Okay. And I think Mm. this is obviously easier said than done, but I realized every single time I was in environments that made me uncomfortable, like I would sort of like, you know, make myself feel really small. Right. And I would Mm. be even more nervous and I would not be able to be like, I don't know, like, I feel like I'm a very driven fire, fiery person. And I just couldn't do it. Like, I feel like I would like close myself in. And I think we need to recognize that, right? Like be very self-aware of what environments are doing to us. 
and then seek out the environments that make your heart fly, right? And that where you do feel comfortable. And, you know, one of the things for me when I was working at Bain, obviously I had a great like group of friends and, you know, most of them were, you know, people who had gone to like Ivy Leagues and were at Bain, were going off to business school. I had this like other life going on because I was a dancer in the middle of New York City. And a lot of my friends were creatives. They were artists. They were like editors. And I felt a very different way in front of them than I did my Bain friends. And I remember always having to think about that. I'm like, why do I feel like I'm two different people? And I think at any point in our lives where we are acting like two different people, we need to really think about why we're doing that and really bring all of our selves into one place, you know? And it took me to start ClassPass, really, I think, because I realized I wasn't going to fit into the corporate world. And the dance world was also a little different for me. While I was a creative, I also knew I could build something and I wanted to scale something and I had the background to do it. So I needed to find the place where like all threads of me could really be. And obviously I don't, obviously everyone can't start a company and that might not even be what you want to do. But I really think it's about seeking out the environments and the people. And if Mm -hmm. the current environment you have isn't working, find another home base that's going to really help you thrive. We're talking about environments, I have to ask, because I'm slightly biased here, but living in New York City, what did that teach you? Oh my God. I mean, New York is honestly the city of lights and the city of dreams. I mean, from the first day I got there after college, I remember looking up like a Bollywood dance troupe to join and it somehow was two blocks away from my apartment, you know, and I joined that and I got to like dance at like on like every block of New York City at like some, you know, the most prestigious venues, like I don't know. It just, it was like all your dreams can come true. And, and I think you have to embrace that and feel like the world is your oyster there. But I mean, New York City inspired me 100%. You know, I mean, the years of building my company there, the years of dancing there, I mean, it just was incredible. Mm. You know, your, your energy is very contagious. You have me super excited. So I'm jumping all over the place, but I want to ask you, (laughs) I want to ask a question because I really admired the fact that you embodied such a courage. Um, when you were working at Bain right after MIT, there was a story in the book talking about how you had a decision to either, you know, go to a meeting or, you know, go dance and you chose dance. Like, but the thing that was really interesting about it was that you alluded to the fact, like you literally felt it in every part of your body that you wanted to go dance over the meeting. Mm-hmm. What's your advice for having that courage? Like that is not easy. So here, where was I at this point in my life? Okay. So I had checked so many boxes off for my parents at this point, right? Like what got into MIT, mm. got into a great prestigious consulting firm. I think this was my body saying, pile, you need to get off the train, right? This train that was going, that was already set for me my whole life. It was my being saying, there is another path for you. It's over here. And you got to start going in that direction. And I think that's why I knew. And I didn't want to miss that. There were so few opportunities for Indian dancers at the time to, you know, be in the media and be represented. And I like, couldn't, I couldn't say no. And so I went, you know, and it ended up being a life story. I actually opened the whole book with this story. It's it's funny because I messaged my boss who I actually had that conversation with just the other day. And she's like, I don't even remember what I said to you. And I'm like, because it was actually not that big or important of like a meeting and a conversation, but it did actually transform my entire life. Referring to your boss, you also did something that was pretty incredible. Like you didn't get offended by the feedback. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think of her as a mentor. Actually, and I remember I had a friend who was reading the book and she's like, it's interesting. You consider her a mentor. I'm like, 
Yeah, because she was honestly saying something to me. And, and just for context, for everyone listening, you know, I had gone off to this dance show and, you know, I asked my boss if I could go. And at the time it was fine. But I was having a conversation about like performance review sort of like a few months later. And she was like, I don't think you like want this job. And she kind of said it in a way like, I don't think you're ready for this or whatever. But I think my initial reaction, because I'm type A and like to overperform, and that's what I've been taught my whole life was, oh, no, 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 I'm going to show you I can do this, right? Like, oh, I made a mistake. And let me prove to you how great I am. And this will never happen again, right? Like, that's, mm-hmm. I think, my initial body reaction that would have happened. And I probably was upset. And I, I do remember being upset. I think it took a little bit of time, like a few months for me to be like, actually, she was right. I don't want to mm. be here. This is not my life dream. And there is something else out there. I'm not sure what it is, but it's time to go explore and try something different. And I think she was just saying like, my heart wasn't there. Because if my heart was there, I would have been at that meeting. Absolutely. Now, for context purposes, I know that launching, writing a book is no easy task whatsoever. Why at this point in your journey did you decide to put this out? You know, I feel like over the last, you know, honestly, like 15 years of my life, ever since I started Saw, which was when I was like 25, 26, right? And I'm, you know, actually approaching close to 40 in a year or two. And I think I had to really, I felt like it was a responsibility, right? For me to actually share with other people how I did this. Because so many people over this you know, decade have asked me, how have you done it? And I really lived my life by different methodologies and a different mm. sort of process. And I felt very confident doing it. And it helped me move forward in life, not just at the not just in terms of like anything like greed or fame or any of that and power. It was literally, I felt authentically happy. And I think that's really at the crux of it is a lot of people throughout my life, you know, they're like, you're always so happy. And it's because I don't let anyone stop me from doing the things I love. I'm still, you know, responsible for the things that I have to provide to others and all of that. But at the same time, I don't, I take the things I have to do for others as important as the things I have to do for myself. I don't feel like the things I have to do for myself have any less worth. And I've never felt that. And that's why that's the methodology that's really helped me push forward. And I don't let anything stand in my way. Like I'm a 411 petite human being and I've never, ever been like, I can't do something in my life, right? I still never feel like that. And I think that's the mentality I want everyone to live by. And I mean, you brought up New York City. Like I remember getting there that first day. I mean, you, you could either feel so small in that city or you could feel so big. And that's, that's a choice you have to make. Now, do you think happiness is a choice? A choice. Now that that's an interesting way to phrase it. I think happiness is a journey. It's like a part of a process that you kind of have to work towards. I don't think you can expect to be happy at every single point in your life. I think you have to be very clear on what happiness means to you. Because I think happiness means something different to you than it does to me. And we sometimes think happiness is defined by other people. So I think what you really have to do is figure out what happiness means to you and then work towards it. And I think, you know, the whole life fast method, I actually started by making people pick five words that are going to really embody this next year for you. And they are like emotions and themes. So instead of saying like, oh yeah, I want to accomplish, you know, running a marathon and getting a raise and getting married, all this stuff. It's really like, I want you to pick words. Is it love? Is it home? Is it, is it, you know, feeling strong? Like what, what is it? And I think together those words are some sort of what your, where your happiness resides. What is happiness for you? Being fulfilled, you know, and I think for me, fulfillment comes down to giving to the world. 
It's okay. living my calling, you know, and your calling is truly in service of other people. And I think the more I do that, the more I feel fulfilled. I don't want to, well, first and foremost, the mission statement of ClassPass is every life fully lived. So you just brought up fulfillment. That's the reason why I'm saying this. What is fulfillment? What's fully lived for you? Spending your time doing the things that bring you joy and that, you know, that your soul is supposed to be doing the journey that you were put on this earth to do. And we don't always realize it, but our, our lives are all connected and we're truly here to make impact on other people's lives. And I think we are the most fulfilled when we know that we're making that impact and we feel it. At one point in the book, you talk about kind of discovering, you know, more pieces of the journey and how things come in divine timing, right? Like yeah. you, you took it. Yep. So what are you supposed to do? And I've never asked this on the show before, but what are you supposed to do when you're waiting for things? And maybe not waiting, you know, but what are you supposed to do in the time in the interim? Well, first you should be, you know, trying new things. You don't always know okay. where the answer is, right? And, you know, even the idea of class pass came to me. Because I got out of my comfort zone of being in New York City and dancing all the time and working all the time. And I went to San Francisco. And like I was one of those people who just didn't have time to travel. I didn't have money to travel. And I finally went to a trip. I met a bunch of entrepreneurs who changed my entire perspective on what my career could be. And a week later, I had an idea and I decided to start a company, right? So it's one of those things where I think we have to sometimes allow ourselves to to be in these new environments and try new things. That doesn't mean to get busy. I think that's the other part of this that I would say. And that is really the, you know, the other half of this is do the things that do light you up, right? So for me, I think the journey of dance, and I talk about, you know, random moments where, you know, class pass appeared, or not class pass, sorry, saw appeared on the art section of the New York Times. And then my my boss got me a book about the Bollywood anthology and my name was in it. Like it was, it was these weird signs from I felt like the universe telling me, hello, like you're good at what you do. And you're like, you're being stuck in a place because this is what society has told you to do. But like your magic is spreading. It's there around you. You have to be the one to accept it and feel it. And I, I really believe when I started listening to those signs, the path unfolded a bit clearer for me. Was anything ever uncomfortable stepping into the unknown of trying something new for you? I mean, so much of it, right? I yeah. think. Let's see. I mean, look, like the day you quit your job, right? Like if anyone's ever mm-hmm. done that, I mean, I was going to have no place to really work. That was like a stable environment. I wasn't going to have any income. I think how I got over this one, and I think money is a big one that we all deal with the, you know, a sense of potentially not having the same amount of money or living off of a smaller budget, any of that. I think money can trap us, you know, and I have a whole mantra in the book, which is make money work for you. You don't work for money because mm-hmm. we need to realize that like it is on us to figure out like, you might be making a lot of money or a little money. It is still on you on where that money goes and understanding how you want to make it work. And you might not be able to do something you love today, but you could create a plan and earn it in a year, in five years from now. But that's on you, how you want to turn that into something that's going to be a plan that works for you. I think that's how I got rid of that constraint for myself. My dad and I sat down, we built a huge like budget together on like all my savings, all my expenses. And we realized like I could live for three years off of my savings if I wanted to go start my company. And I think these are important practical decisions we all need to make. Like, of course, you know, I want to go and do what my soul wants to do and fly off a cliff, but I needed (laughs) to make sure that I had, you know, the plane in place, right? And the wings uh, there. And 
I think going through those exercises of, you know, what would make me feel good and capable of doing it, like money was a big one. I think there's other ones like skill as well. So raising money, you know, being in these in different environments that I wasn't used to, I think I started actually all wrong. Like I was trying to be somebody I wasn't, you know, I saw like the way my other friends were pitching their companies and I had seen sort of how the finance business world works. And I thought that's what I had to do. But I think I found more momentum when I really showed up telling my own authentic story about why I wanted to build this company. And, you know, like my credentials spoke for themselves and I just had to go and do it. If you could speak to Pyle, who was starting ClassPass, you know, back then, what would be the three pieces of advice you'd give her? Oh boy, this one's always such a hard one, right? I would say the advice I would give her is trust in your decisions. Okay. Make decisions quickly. Don't let anyone stop you. Why the second one? Why make decisions quickly? I would actually say like the year of failure of the company was because like we just kind of thought something was going to work and we weren't questioning it enough. And I think Mm. the magic, especially for like startups, you know, that have to operate and change and iterate. I mean, this is in any of our lives is the more you wait on making a decision, you already know what the answer is to. Why are you waiting? You know, and I think sometimes we just are scared to make the decision. And so we don't do it. And I think the right. quicker you make it, the quicker you get to the other side. And I think for anyone, when you've made those hard decisions, everyone's always better off on the other side. Mm. Now, in regards to point three, don't let anyone stop you. Was anyone trying to stop you? I think throughout the journey, you get a lot of no's, you get investors, right? You get people who will doubt you. You know, and of course, like I've learned to build a shield towards it. Does that mean that you, it doesn't it doesn't hurt you or it doesn't dent you a little? Of course it does, you know. But I think I always had a very strong sense of I'm going to go and do this and I'm not going to let anything stand in my way mm. that would help me through it. But there were obviously moments where you're like, oh no, I hope that, is that person right? Like maybe I can't do this or maybe this isn't a good business or vice versa. But you just have to keep going. Absolutely. Now, do you think that's a muscle as well? Because hearing no sucks, to say the least. It does, does, right? Okay. I I think it gets easier. And if you believe, you know, and you can find some other people who believe, I think you just have to use that momentum, you know, Mm. to keep you going and moving. So when there is a little bit of that doubt that comes around you, you can just fight through it. Right. If someone picks up this book and can only take away one thing from it, what would you want that one thing to be? There's a lot in here. There's I know. A, I'm like, wait, there's I'm a lot to think in here. My mantra is, I mean, live life on your own terms. Set your own rules. Mm. I love that. That's so powerful. I could ask you a million and one more questions, but your responses, you do make decisions quickly. Your responses were so quick. I'm just, I'm blown away over here. I, I know you do a ton of these podcasts. I'm sure TV stages, so on and so forth is going to be in the future as well. If you could only be remembered for one piece of advice though, what would it be? Create timeless things. What does that mean? Build things that are going to outlast you. You know, when we think about the world today, whether it's products, art, content, lessons for the world, I think the world needs to remember to create things that are going to have longevity and live Mm -hmm. forever, you know, and it's not about you or even the current moment. It's about what continues on, you know, and I think they're like, I have a deep artist side to me and in the art world, that's like a little bit more easier, easier to understand. But I think as you build products and live life, it's, it's really like, how, how are you going to stay timeless? And, and that can be like even your kids, you know, I have, I have a two-year-old son and there's a part of that that feels obviously timeless in, in, in a way too, you know, and I think it's about appreciating that and not getting stuck in the day-to-day. What has your son taught you? Oh my God. 
to pause and be present and laugh mm. with him and appreciate the little things in life. That's a beautiful thing. I love that. Pyle, I could ask you a million and one more questions expressing gratitude for you hopping on here. Seriously, this book is incredible. Not even just saying that. Very vulnerable shares. And I think that makes the reader feel like super connected to you. Like I, I know so much about you now. I absolutely love it. We're going to have the link for the book in the show notes, socials, websites, all of that good stuff. But do you have anything else going on that we should make people aware of? The book? Buy it book. and do the, do the goal setting. I love that. I love it. Pyle, thank you so much for this opportunity. Great. Thank you so much for having me. You have just tuned into the Decoding Success Podcast, the top 1% globally ranked show to help you level up in all buckets of life, from your business to your profession, to your health in all spectrums, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, to relationships, and so much more. The show would be nothing without our incredible guests that join us. So shout out to Pyle Kadekia, the founder of ClassPass, for joining us today to share her wisdom, her experiences, her knowledge, her incredible stories that are filled with inspiring moments, and so much more. Pyle, shout out to to you. If you'd like to connect with Pyle, you could do so in the show notes of this episode where you could also grab her brand new book that we talked about here on this episode today. And I'm going to throw this out there. You're still listening to this episode. If you are still hearing my voice, I am going to urge you and let you know that this show is totally free. But if there was a fee, it would be to share it. This story, the insights, the experiences, all of that are truly, truly incredible. You could tell how amped up I am just from recording this episode with Pyle and from reading the book itself, which is absolutely incredible. So make sure you're sharing this. And if you do, make sure you tag us. Let Pyle know you heard her here on Decoding Success. If you're reaching out, tag her on Instagram. All of that good stuff is in the show notes as always. And until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.